Our Father, again, I thank you for, for gathering your people this morning. I pray that over the next few minutes, as we, uh, as we take a look in, in the, the book of Haggai, Lord, that your, your word would, um, would stir us, that your word would uh, point us to Christ, that it would point us to know who you really are, that it would point us to know who we really are. Uh, Lord, that you would say what you once said to each one of us, that you'd open our ears to hear you, and that uh, you would just make Jesus known in this place. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's uh, just after Valentine's Day, about a week after, right? Uh, so that means we're like a month and a half, almost two months into the year 2020. And the, my thought is, like, how are those goals? How are those resolutions you made? How are they coming? Uh, you do, you're doing good on those? In January for me, January was really good. Uh, Claire and I started out the year with a Whole30 diet. Anybody done the Whole30? All of, okay, all of, none of you. That's cool. It's a, it's a little diet where you're, you're, you're eating uh, just very few uh, types of food. kind of helps detox you a little bit or whatever. And honestly, it felt great, right? I felt great during the month of January. I was sick from all that junk that we ate over the holidays. And so going through a month of eating really well just felt good. I had more energy, really loved it. February, not so good. Not, not as good, right? which is really great. I, I kind of got tired of all the meal prep that's involved with Whole30, and it kind of just wore me out. And so now I find myself just being a little bit lazy and tired and eating things that I now know make me sick and that I don't want, but I eat them anyways because I'm, I'm lazy and tired. Uh, so February, not so good. Like I have some pretty good days. I have some bad days with, with the goals. Uh, but what I'm realizing is that I'm starting to forget even how good I felt just a few weeks ago, right? I'm forgetting how good it felt to eat well. Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know. I know many people also at the beginning of the year make uh, like a Bible reading plan, like a goal that they want to get through the Bible in the year. Maybe you started one of those Bible reading plans where it gets you through the entire Bible in a year. And if you've done that, it can be really life-giving as you read through the Scriptures. But also, I know that as you start those plans, there can be long days, there can be tough nights, and sometimes you skip a night, you skip a morning, right? And then, like, Genesis is really good, and Exodus has got some good stuff, but, I mean, everybody's read Genesis and Exodus like 24 times, and then you get to Leviticus and you fall asleep, and then Numbers, you're like, I don't, I mean, I've read one chapter, I mean, that's the same as all the rest of them, so you kind of maybe skip numbers and then after a while it just kind of gets easier and easier to fall behind and maybe by this time in the year if you've done something like that you found that you're just waiting for January to come again so you can start over right I think this is a a struggle most of us have in common like we want to do things that we know are the most important for us we want to do the things that we know are most important for our overall health and even for the good of others But we have a common problem, and that is that there are about a million other things that demand our attention and our affections and our time and our energy and our allegiances and our money. And also on top of that, we're very forgetful people. We're forgetful people, so our priorities, they get rearranged really easily. Like our set priorities like easily drift and easily morph, and they get displaced by work or by school or by a relationship or by friendships or by other people's goals and other people's plans. And we kind of end up shelving the things that we know are most important for us. And then we kind of excuse it as just bad timing, right? 
But we're making these choices that ultimately will not lead us where we know we want to go. And we tend to drift and we tend to go along with the drift for quite some time. And if something doesn't like snap us out of it, we can easily find that life is just being drained from us and that the things we want most and that are most important for us aren't even in like the queue anymore. So as we jump into the book of Haggai this morning, I think we're going to discover some good news that can help you and help me remember what is most important in life. And it'll help us to guard against the drift that can so easily steal our lives away. So I'm going to read this in Haggai 1, 1 through 15. You can read along on the screen, or if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Haggai 1, 1 through 15. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. When we started this like slow journey through the minor prophets over the last year and some months, uh, God's people were split into two nations at the beginning, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And we started out with these first prophets like Hosea and Amos, and they were preaching to Israel first, the northern kingdom, warning them about their sin and their idolatry, you remember, and warning them that their sin and their idolatry would cost them everything, and then it did. Like eventually Israel fell to the hands of Assyria and the people were dragged into exile. 
Then after that, we heard from the prophets who were warning the southern kingdom in the same way that the northern kingdom had been warned. And then all this, so this came to pass. Judah was taken into exile by Babylon. But we also read about Habakkuk's vision, which revealed that Babylon too would not go unpunished. And so some 70 years or so after Judah was finally taking, uh, taken in cap- into captivity and exile by Babylon, Babylon also fell. It was to the great empire of Persia, ruled by Cyrus the Great. And Cyrus had a different way of like, dealing with the nations than the, than the rulers of Assyria and the rulers of Babylon. I mean, it would be a mistake to think that Persia is a kind and righteous empire or anything like that, but the different style of rule did benefit God's people who were in exile. Cyrus comes into power, and he decided to send people back to where they came from, right? Not just Judah, like many people who had been taken, many nations who had been taken uh, previously by Assyria and Babylon, Cyrus releases them and tells them to go back home and to rebuild their lives. There were still many in captivity for many more years beyond this, but some were coming back home, were returning home after all those long, difficult years. Now, you may be somewhat familiar with these events, like we saw in the video if you've read the book of Ezra, which details more about who comes back and when they came back and what they did when they came back. And Haggai, this prophet, and the next prophet that we're going to get into, Zechariah, are both mentioned in Ezra, along with Zerubbabel and Joshua, the governor, and the priests who are mentioned in in Haggai, who, who Haggai is actually speaking to. And what we'd find if we went back to Ezra is a little more of a setting Uh, that Haggai comes and speaks into. Um, And this is kind of what it looks like. When the exiles first returned from Persia, from their exile, it actually didn't take them long to do the right thing and to come back and they started rebuilding, right? And they start with the altar and they built even a foundation for the temple. But then came the drift that we all experience. Like many of the surrounding and neighboring peoples Uh, started causing trouble. They took uh, Judah's uh, rebuilding uh, or whatever rebuilding efforts as a power play and so they come and they threaten them with violence. They go get other rulers involved and they kind of just come and force them to quit the work. And so God's people returned from exile, stopped rebuilding the temple. And the foundation that they had built, it just kind of sits there and it goes on unfinished for like 15, 20 years. And the people just go about their business, they go on making a living, they're rebuilding their lives back in their home, rebuilding their homes, making nice places, and this is the spot, this is the place where Haggai begins to speak and comes with a word from God for these people, the scripture says. They haven't heard from a prophet in many, many decades, painful decades, and God has been silent through their exile But now he breaks his silence. After like 70 to 90 years, he breaks his silence. And God's message is this to Zerubbabel and Joshua. Haggai 1, 2 through 5, he says this. He says, these people, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin?" Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. 
because the people have lived for almost two decades, back from exile, back in their homeland. They made like a brief attempt to rebuild the temple, but they were easily deterred. And they've lived since with the excuse that the time is just not right. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Which sounds a lot to me like the sentiment that we might have when we've already started drifting away from those yearly New Year's resolutions, those goals that we made at the beginning of the year. Like, I haven't been exercising like I should, but it's Thursday, so I probably shouldn't start exercising till Monday because the timing isn't right. It's Thursday, I'll get through the weekend, I'll have a... Pretty fun weekend, probably pack on some more calories. Then I'll do a nice exercise on Monday, right? The time's just not right. More severely than that, it actually reminds me of many white people, how we've been telling black people in our country and what men have told women for so long in this country and beyond and, and to many other marginalized people in this country for quite some time. We've told them the time just isn't right yet. Just take it easy. Take it slow. The time's just not right yet. But as the African Bible commentary puts it, the time is never just right to do God's work, for it's always opposed. So God does not accept their excuse that the time has not yet come, and we shouldn't think that he would accept our excuse either. But also, here in Haggai, we see that he's not in a rage. I mean, he knows where his people have been, how they got there, what their journey has been like, how difficult it has been. But it's also time for them to grow from all of that, right? And I just see God is like so fatherly in this message that he brings from Haggai. He's so good. Like he comes and he gives in right measure and in right balance, tenderness, but also a stern word. And so God calls them to consider their ways in verse 5. And then he repeats it again in verse 7 saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, to the governor, he says that to the governor and the priest. And twice in this passage he says this, and then to help them along, he begins to lead them to consider the truth of who he is against the reality of who they really are. He starts in verse 6 by revealing who they are and the reality of their condition. And he says this in verse 6. You have sown much. You've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, does so to put them in a bag with holes. In essence, I mean, isn't God saying this? You've waited for a long time. You've waited for the right time to build my house. But you've gone about your work on your own, working for your own pleasure and working for your own comfort. Yet as you've labored for your own comfort and your own pleasure, you do not reap enough from your harvest to satisfy your hunger. You don't have enough to drink. You can't even clothe yourself, and there's definitely not money to save. You put years of work and effort in, but you're poor, and you're unable to do anything about it. You're unable to do anything about it. I've been reading uh, Henry Nouwen's book, the return of the prodigal son. So the parable, the parable of the prodigal son is kind of fresh in my mind as I've been studying Haggai. But this reminds me of the young son who took uh, the, his, his inheritance that is from his father and he left his family behind forever, right? And then he went away and he squandered everything that he took on a lavish and debaucherous lifestyle only to find himself working like a lowly job 
feeding pigs whose slop he wasn't able to afford to eat. And there, right there, where he's realizing his own poverty, the son remembers who his father is, right? That he's a man of means, with servants who live better lives than his in his current poverty. Do you remember that? Now look at Haggai 1.8. God says this. He says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. See, like the story of the prodigal son, this is what God does here in Haggai. He helps the people realize the reality that their own way has only left them impoverished and unsatisfied, like the lost son who couldn't afford to eat pig slop. Then he invites them in to remember their God. He invites them in to remember Him, and, and he invites them in to another way, into His way. He says, consider your ways. Like You've tried building your house. How about you try building mine? You've tried things your way, and look where it led. Come back. Align your priorities with my priorities and you'll find the life you were created for. But God actually says more than that here. And this is where we start to to really see the contrast develop between who they are and who God is. Look at Haggai 1, 9 through 11. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, in the hills, and on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. You see it? He lets them in on who He is. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the maker. God is the giver. God is the taker. Everything and everyone depends on God. Rulers and their subjects alike depend on God. And God tells the earth here whether to produce food, the sky whether to produce rain, and no amount of labor from anyone or anything can produce what God does not ordain to be produced. He's God of all creation. And these are his covenant people called to make him known. And they haven't put that relationship first. They've drifted. Their priorities are not aligned with God's priorities. And so they are not living the life they were created for. God's people are so far removed from their first love that they've really started to forget what it was even like. They've forgotten what the temple was even about. It's not just a place. It's not just a building. It's not just some good idea. It was the place where God agreed to dwell among them. It's the place that they were to base their whole lives around, to build their day-to-day around, because every part of it was like an expression of the truth about who God is. And it made Him known every day to all the people and to the nations. But see, when their daily rhythms as people were built around the temple... They were built around God's life-giving presence. Without the temple, they aren't rooted in the reality of His presence. They aren't reaping the life promised, and they aren't living into their covenant purpose of making Him known in all the earth. Their priorities are not aligned with God's priorities. But God, through the prophet Haggai, 
is graciously calling his people back to him and showing them the way home. Do you know the rest of the story that that Jesus told about the prodigal son? I mentioned the son took his inheritance, he, he went away, he spent it all in debauchery and a lavish lifestyle, and then he found himself very poor. And now the impoverished son catches a glimpse in his memory of who his father is. And, that, and that's when he realizes that being in his father's presence, even as the lowliest servant position, is far better than where he is at that moment. So he decides to return home and to seek to be a servant in his father's house. However, he had no idea what he was in for. Because when he returns home, the father sees him coming from a long way off, and he takes off running towards him. And the father doesn't see him as unworthy or shameful or merely a servant. He sees his son who he dearly loves. And he runs to him, and he embraces him Fully, and he clothes him in a robe. He puts a family ring back on his finger and he throws a party in his honor. That's what God does. That's what God does. And I want you to see how he does that in a similar way here in Haggai. Look at Haggai 1 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. See, God leads Zerubbabel and Joshua, these leaders that Haggai's been speaking to thus far. He leads them to remember him and to remember who he is and what he does and who they really are, and what their situation really is. And they, like the lost son, decide to turn and lead the remnant of God's people back to God, and they obey his voice, the Scripture says. Maybe they think, hey, our, or see, hey, our way really isn't working. We really are poor. We really are impoverished. We really can't make the ground produce anything. Maybe they think, we got to give this a shot. I don't know. And so they decide to return to God and they decide to try His way. But whatever they thought, I think that God exceeds their expectations. Like the lost son's father exceeds that of his returning son. Because when God speaks through Haggai to all the people for the first time, this is what He says, I am with you. I mean, I am with you. This is is God embracing them Upon their return. This is a statement of God enfolding them in his loving arms. Saying I'm present. Welcome back. Welcome back to me. And this is the word. I am with you. Is the word that the temple. Where they will build their lives around him once again. Is rebuilt upon. That God is with them. This is God. This is what he does. This is his heart. To be with us. And for us to be with him. For his pleasure for His glory in and through us. And Jesus has ultimately proven how all that is true. You remember when Jesus, who is God in the flesh, stepped from heaven into earth and was born into this world? He was named, according to Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel. God is with us. 
And then later, Jesus, later on in his life, Jesus sees the temple and he begins to lament for Jerusalem because, again, they've drifted. They've misaligned their priorities with God's priorities. And he laments that they again didn't recognize that none of it was ever about a building, but about God's presence with them. And they were missing God in the flesh, walking among them. And so Jesus laments. Listen, here's the good news for us. Jesus came, and Jesus died, and Jesus rose again, and Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he has granted us an even greater gift presence of God's Spirit within us. God is with us in the Spirit that is filling us up as His people. Jesus is the better temple. He's the image of the invisible God, the Scripture says. He's the exact imprint of His nature, says the writers of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews. And by the blood of Jesus, He has made us holy. He has made us pure once again so that His Spirit can dwell within us so that we can actually live the way we were created to live. We can actually make him known in all things. Jesus has made us clean so that we can abide in him as he is in us. This is how John says it in John chapter 15, 3 through 5. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And so this is the question for us today, just as I think it was for the remnant of Jerusalem in Haggai's day. Have you considered your way? Have you considered your ways? Does the fruit that you are bearing reveal that your priorities are aligned or misaligned with God's priorities? Are you living the life you were created for or have you drifted from it? Do you need to be awakened to the reality of your utter dependence on God and your utter spiritual poverty without Him? Do you know that God is for you, that He is with you and that he is calling you to build your whole life around him for his glory and for his pleasure and for your good and for your joy and for your satisfaction do you know that the that god's heart is for you to be with him as he is with you and the invitation for us today is to consider your ways consider your ways and align your priorities with god's priorities Find the life you were created for. That is, build your whole life around being with Him as He is with you. The writer of Hebrews talks a lot about Jesus as the true and better temple. And I would actually really encourage you to read that over the next few weeks. Read Hebrews as we go through Haggai. I think it would be very beneficial in helping you to see how this book of Haggai points to Jesus. But I just want to read this briefly. From Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a whole lot there, but I really want us to hear that one invitation. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us turn in faithful obedience from our ways into the presence of God who dwells with us. Long ago, I worked in a, a resi- the residential construction industry, and, and the company I worked for recognized this tendency for us to drift from our goals, to drift from our priorities. They probably read Stephen Covey's Seven, Habit, Seven Habits of Highly Affected People or, or some other book of that nature. But in that world that I was in, drift from our goals and priorities meant lost dollars for the company, right? So we got really clear about what we called wigs. That's our wildly important goals. (laughs) We found ways to measure how we were progressing towards our wigs on the day-to-day, right? So one wig for my department uh, was to have new homeowners report zero items when they first bought their house. Like basically do a walk through the house, zero items should come up during that walkthrough, and then a year from then when they would turn us a list in for their warranty items, zero items should be on that list as well. To give you some perspective, we were probably averaging like 60 items at a time on each list, right? So that was a crazy goal, but it was a wildly important goal. And so it was so wildly important that our bonuses got built around that goal. And so every time that we got a walkthrough report or a warranty report with an item on it, we were reminded of the priority because it affected our pockets, right? And we got very proactive about eliminating those problems on future builds. I tell you that because in much the same way, you and I can measure our priorities by asking the question of whether our efforts are ushering us into a life that bears the fruit of the Spirit. Does your life bear the fruit of the Spirit? That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, self-control. These are the things we know we want. Right? We know that's the good life. We know that's good for us. We know that that's who we want to be. That's what we want the world to look like, is people just like exuding and bearing th- those things. Right? These are things we want to spill out of us, but are they? Or are you left in a place of poverty, in a, la- in a place with none of that fruit really coming to bear? If that's you, and I think it's likely each one of us more than we'd like to admit, I just want us to hear this this morning. You can measure where you're at, where your priorities are at by taking a look at those things and seeing if they exist or if they don't exist and where they're at. But I want you to hear this. God is with you. Abide in Him. Draw near to Him. Like if you find, when you look at that measurement, if you look at those fruit and you find that you're drifting, wake up. Like snap out of it and return to Him. Build your whole life around knowing Him by seeking Jesus and His kingdom first. There's no better time than the present. 
You don't have to build a temple. Just build rhythms that allow you to abide in Him in the day-to-day, that allow you to be with Him as He's with you. I just want you to hear this, beloved children of God. God is with you. He is for you. And He is the one in which everything your heart truly desires is found. May we consider our ways then and turn to Him to be with Him as He is with us. We're going to move into a time of response to reflect and even begin to ask those questions and consider our ways and just consider the Lord is present with us. And He wants nothing more than for us just to turn in and to be with Him as He is with us. As we reflect and as we go through this time of worship, the band will come and lead us through that. They'll come and you can come after and we'll take communion as we do each Sunday and you can come down these side aisles, you take bread, you dip it in the wine or the juice. And the bread helps us to remember the body of Christ which is broken for us. The wine and the juice is the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And as we take and as we eat, we're proclaiming Jesus as her Savior. We're proclaiming that Jesus is who He said He is, that He's the true and better temple, and that because of Jesus, and by, His, by His body and by His blood, He is with us. We're proclaiming that and we're remembering it together, reminding one another, because we are a forgetful people. This is meant to help us all snap out of it and draw back into to God who is present with us. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, you can come and take with us and make that proclamation together and remind one another and, and encourage one another to, to, to remember Jesus Christ this morning. Also during this time, there's a place for your offerings and tithes to go in a basket back there. There's instructions on how to give electronically if you need to do that as well. And like I said, the band will lead us through all this and that they'll lead us back into worship through singing. And if you want to pray with somebody, you can come grab me. You can grab somebody else around you. You can pray. You can sit where you are and pray. You can stand and let's worship our God together also. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to move into that. Oh God, you are so good to us. You are such a good father. We we drift. We start getting our perspectives like hijacked by the enemy. We forget who you really are. We forget who we really are. We become blind to the reality of our own situation. We can't see our own poverty. We can't see that we could possibly even be loved by you when we do see our own, our own poverty and our own shame. God, help us remember you this morning. Help us remember who you really are, what you do who we are. God, help us to return to you so that we'll see that like everything we ever expected is, is not even close. You're so much better than we could ever imagine. You quenched thirst that we didn't even know we had. We were built and created to live in your presence with you. Draw us into that. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is being built up into the temple of God, that we are a place where God dwells, we're a place where Jesus Christ dwells and is made known in and through this people. So help us to consider our ways.
joyfully, building a life around you, around being with you. And draw us into obedience. Because we know your love. We know your steadfast love and your faith. In Jesus' name, amen.